but this is barbaric. This is not what America is. It is now. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI on Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day over your internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, at the largest migrant children's center in the U.S., near the border with Mexico in Texas, there are reportedly 1,469 boys ages 10 to 17 housed inside a 250,000 square foot shell of a former Walmart superstore. None of the 313 bedrooms built into this store in the hastily converted utility, none of those bedrooms have doors uh, or ceilings. So children, according to CNN, lie in their beds. They look up past where their walls end to the scaffolding up at the uh, top of the superstore roof high above them. Hundreds of children neatly lined up for their supper. Reminiscent of a prison cafeteria as they filed past murals of American presidents, including one of Donald Trump. Alongside a curious quote from him in both Spanish and English, quote, sometimes by losing a battle, you find a new way to win the war. That, according to CNN's Bob Ortega, uh, who uh, was allowed inside the facility this week with some other reporters for the first time. That following a public spectacle the week before when security officials turned away Democratic U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon as he tried to visit the facility. The U.S. government's Office of Refugee Resettlement opened the facility, now dubbed the Casa Padre Shelter in Brownsville, Texas, to a tightly controlled news media visit this week. Senator Merkley had sought to look into the conditions under which the shelter's children who either crossed into the U.S. unaccompanied or were separated from their parents at the border 
the way that they are being held there at this facility. His concerns followed the Trump administration's new zero-tolerance border policy announced last month by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, which calls for taking away children from their parents while prosecuting those parents uh, in uh, on a criminal basis after they cross the border illegally or even if they cross it legally seeking asylum in just the first two weeks after Sessions announced that policy, 658 children crossed the border with their families and were presumably taken into custody, according to Customs and Border Protection. Uh, at least uh, that was the testimony they gave before the Senate Committee on the Judiciary back in late May. In April, the Department of Health and Human Services told the New York Times that around the same number of children, approximately 700, had been taken from families at the border in the entire six preceding months. So after the change of policy... Uh, we uh, took the same, almost the same number of children in two weeks that had been separated over the previous six months by this administration. With that increase, uh, as of Wednesday of this past week, Office of Refugee Settlement spokesman Brian Marriott said the office was holding some 11,351 children in more than 100 shelters across 17 states. 11,351 children. The Walmart-turned-Casa Padre shelter, which opened last year, has seen a surge in numbers there. In March, the nonprofit Southwest Key Programs, which also operates 26 other shelters in Texas, Arizona, and California, said they uh, had a capacity of 1,186 according to a licensing document posted inside that shelter. More recently, as children flooded into the system, they had to get a variance from Texas regulators in order to boost the capacity to 1,497. The average population of the shelter has jumped by nearly 300 in less than a month, according to the Southwest Key Program's director. Five cot-like beds have been squeezed into bedrooms built originally for four in the facility. Reporters were allowed to, uh, who were allowed to visit the Casa Padre shelter had to agree to preconditions. Man, does all of this sound troubling to me. Officials also declined to allow interviews with any of the children or employees of the shelter. I mean, this sounds to me like... Uh, I don't know when we hear about, uh, you know, officials who visit foreign nations and are given tours of, of, of gulags, frankly, that, you know, you can't talk to the prisoners, you can't talk to the officials. It reminds me of the Japanese internment camps back in World War II. And um, I don't think these should be called shelters. I think they should be called internment camps or detainment camps or detainee camps or prisons or prisons. Nearly all of the boys in uh, this particular shelter are uh, Central American or Mexican. Children and families from those countries have been fleeing, grinding poverty, gang violence, some of the highest national homicide rates in the world. Though they have a variety of scheduled activities to keep them busy, reportedly the boys spend almost all of their time indoors at the former superstore. Other than one hour a day outside for P.E., 
and another hour of free time that they can spend on the basketball courts or soccer fields that are adjacent to the shelter. That's 22 hours a day locked up inside this overcrowded building. The boys at Casa Padre stay there an average of 49 days. Again, that's 49 days separated from their parents before being placed with a sponsor, usually a relative, or reunited with parents or deported, according to the uh, Southwest Key Program's president. The average for all of their shelters is 56 days and rising. CNN reports almost two months Two months locked away in these warehouses, these detention camps, these prisons, whatever you want to call them. Two months without their parents locked away by the United States of America indoors for 22 hours a day. Southwest Key Programs currently houses more than 5,000 kids. That's almost half the number uh, of uh, kids being detained in the shelter system altogether. In an exclusive report on Friday afternoon, AP now says about 2,000 minors were separated from their families at the border over just the past six-week period. That, according to new Homeland Security figures reported by AP. So apparently more space is still needed to warehouse these children. The Trump administration has selected Tornillo, Texas, according to NBC, on the border with Mexico, that's near El Paso, for the construction of tents, a tent city now to house the overflow of immigrant children. According to three sources familiar with the decision, says our friend Jake Soboroff over at NBC News, the Department of Health and Human Services will erect a tent city full of large tents whose walls touch the ground. That's estimated to hold uh, some 450 beds for children. Well, that should be nice this time of year. Desi uh, Doyen, you're from Texas. How's the weather in uh, in the summer near El Paso? Oh, it's brutal. The West Texas desert is brutal this time of year. It's brutal through September and October. Over 100 degrees consistently. Well, you know what? Maybe they can bring in former Arizona Sheriff uh, Joe Arpaio down to uh, Texas to run that camp. He should be available now that Donald Trump has pardoned him for contempt of federal court for refusing to stop unlawfully detaining people for being Hispanic-looking. He's got lots of experience in holding prisoners in, in uh, camps like these, outdoor tent cities in the blazing heat where these children will reportedly now be stored. Of course, he's running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona, but, uh, you know, it'd be great publicity for him to go down there and do that, wouldn't it? The, uh, the increase of uh, children in need of care at the border is, of course, the product of the new Trump administration policy that on May 7 began criminally prosecuting all adult migrants crossing the U.S.-Mexico border between ports of entry. As a result, the Department of Homeland Security separates any children that are traveling with those adults before prosecution. Back when these were uh, civil matters, the uh, children were allowed to stay with their parents, but now that the Trump administration has decided to make criminal cases out of these, uh, well, you're seeing what's happening. Ron v Vitiello, uh, acting deputy commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, told NBC on Thursday that about 1,500 immigrants are being arrested each day for crossing the border. Vitiello said the policy is meant to deter families of immigrants from coming to the U.S., Defending the policy, he said, if you apply consequence to illegal activity, you get less of it. 
They are only in these shelters long enough to be reunited with their family members. That's the purpose of them. Again, that facility in Brownsville is holding people for uh, about 50 days on average. Of course, it's not just the boys who are being separated from their parents. An undocumented immigrant from Honduras sobbed as she told an attorney this week how federal authorities took her daughter while she breastfed the child in a detention center where she was awaiting prosecution for entering the country illegally. When the woman resisted, she was handcuffed. Natalia Cornelio, the attorney with the Texas Civil Rights Project, recalled from her interview with the woman uh, who had been detained under the Trump administration's new zero-tolerance policy that refers anyone caught crossing the border for uh, federal prosecution. Some parents who are under arrest tell public defenders they don't know what happened to their children at all. According to Miguel Nogueras, an assistant federal public defender in South Texas, some parents also claim that they have been told that their children are being taken to be bathed and then the adults never see them again. That should send a chill down the spine of every American, every human being on this planet, it seems to me. Cornelio, the Texas Civil Rights Project attorney, told CNN the government is essentially torturing people by doing this. Noguera said it depends on who the agent is uh, that's working on any particular day. But these people will be told, quote, we're going to separate your kids so they can bathe. And that's not true. They are never seen again. Uh, He added, uh, it's really hard to look in the eye of a mother or a father who would plead for you to help get my child back. Children generally are separated from parents who are awaiting prosecution for crossing illegally. So prosecuting more parents will result in the separation of far more children from their parents at the border. Uh, more than ever before under this, uh, since this new policy took effect, this new Trump administration policy, make no mistake. The administration said it uh, seeks to reunite the families as much as possible after the court proceedings, but it puts the onus largely onto the parents to locate their children within government custody and seek their return, which is not always easy. While they are, uh, while the kids are in custody or they're being or the parents are, are, are busy being deported. On Monday alone this past week, at just one federal courthouse in McAllen, Texas, public defenders handled 170 cases of undocumented immigrants who were charged with illegally entering the country and about 120 the following Tuesday, at least 60 children were separated from their parents over those two days from that one federal facility, according to the public defenders in McAllen. Nogueras says, uh, I'm outraged about it. I'm angry. It should never happen. I don't think this represents the values of the American people. Well, it does now, apparently, and uh, it's what the Bible calls for. According to Attorney General Jeff Sessions on uh, on Thursday, while defending these extreme new policies, a bit more on that later today, I hope. Meanwhile, at the White House press briefing on Thursday, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders was pressed by reporters, thankfully, 
on these horrific new policies, which Donald Trump, for his part, has somehow been attempting to blame Democrats for. Somehow. Jim Acosta of CNN and Paula Reed of CBS, of CBS both pressed Sanders on the policy that the Trump administration has chosen to invoke here. Changing what used to be a civil violation of law into a criminal violation, leading children being taken away uh, from their parents at alarming numbers. Uh, Sarah Sanders also blamed Democrats. And then finally, in exasperation, without being called on, Playboy magazine's Brian Karam just sort of blew up in the press room and it had enough. Here's what all of that sounded like in the uh, press briefing room on Thursday. On these uh, children who are being separated from their families as they come across the border, uh, the attorney general earlier today said that uh, somehow there's a justification for this in the Bible. Uh, where does it say in the Bible that it's moral uh, to take children away from their mothers? Uh, I'm not aware of the Attorney General's comments or uh, what he would be referencing. Uh, I can say that uh, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Uh, that is actually repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. Well, However, Bible this uh, hold on, Jim, if you'll let me finish. Uh, again, I'm not going to comment on the attorney-specific comments that I haven't seen. That's not what I said, and I, I know it's hard for you to understand. Um, even short sentences, I guess, but and please don't take my words out of context. But the separation of illegal fam alien families is the product of the same legal loopholes that Democrats refuse to close. And these laws are the same that have been on the books for over a decade. And the president is simply enforcing them. Policy to take children away from their parents. Uh, can it's you imagine a moral the policy that to follow and enforce the law. When they come across the border, Jim. they're with their parents, and then suddenly they're pulled away from their parents. Why is the government? doing this because it's the law and that's what the law states and the law you're right it doesn't have to be the law and the president has actually called on democrats in congress to fix those loopholes the democrats have failed to come to the table failed to help this president close these loopholes and fix this problem paula go ahead sorry jim i've given you two questions um first of all there is no law that requires families be separated at the border this was the administration's choice to move from civil matters and immigration until criminal, to criminally prosecute people who come across the border illegally and therefore you have to separate families. So why did the administration find that this was necessary and if it continues to not have much of a deterrent effect, will you continue this policy? Again, the laws are the ones that have been on the books for over a decade and the president is enforcing them. We would like to fix the broken system that our immigration uh, and fix our immigration problem. However, until Democrats are willing to actually fix this problem, uh, it's going to continue. But we would like to see it fixed. Jill. take responsibility for its policy change from civil, handling them as civil matters to criminal it's prosecution. Not a, it's not a policy change to enforce Absolutely. the law. That's been, that's been this administration's policy since the no, day we got here. In April, that he was going to make it's, from handling it as a civil it matter. It has been our administration's policy. Our administration said it was a deterrent. They're separating families to deter people from coming here illegally. Our administration has had the same position since we started uh, on day one that we were going to enforce the law. I know it was something that wasn't high on the priority list in the previous administration, but it is on ours. We're a country of law and order, and we're enforcing the law and protecting our borders. You're a Jill, parent. don't you have any empathy? Jill, go ahead. Come on, Sarah. You're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? Jill. They have less than Brian, you do. Guys, Sarah, come on. Settle down. Seriously. 
serious. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you yell out a turn. Jill, please call. It's a law, and, and they have, th these people have nothing. They hey, Ryan, I know you want to get some more TV it's time, but that's that, not what this is about. about if I want to recognize you, question, go ahead, Sarah. Jill. Honestly, answer Good the question. question. It's a serious question. These people have nothing. They come to the border with nothing, and you throw children in cages. You're a parent. You're a parent of young children. Don't you have any empathy for what they go through? Jill, go ahead. Two questions for you. Firstly, does the president really believe that Crimea is part of Russia because everyone there speaks Russian? So that was uh, the White House in the United States of America on Thursday. Meanwhile, while uh, children are being locked up at an alarming rate and the administration continues to blame Democrats for it, at least some Republicans in Congress are beginning to suggest they might agree to change the law to prevent what the administration is now doing. Those efforts, however, are likely to be tied up into other immigration policies that GOP leadership in both houses have refused to allow to come up for a vote after a sort of a rebellion in uh, recent weeks from some so-called moderate Republicans in the House. Speaker Paul Ryan has finally agreed to allow several votes on immigration in the coming days, so we'll see if there's anything that changes there. But another policy change concerning immigration enacted over the past week by the administration could have an even longer-term effect, removing the ability for women to make claims of asylum when they enter this country due to domestic abuse and threats of gang violence. The attorney representing the woman whose case led to Attorney General Jeff Sessions unilaterally rewriting long-standing U.S. immigration policy uh, on claims of asylum just this past week. She joins us next on the Bradcast to discuss it. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Immigration advocates and former immigration judges denounced Attorney General Jeff Sessions' ruling this past Monday restricting asylum for people fleeing domestic or gang violence, saying the decision could cost lives and endanger tens of thousands of people. One lawyer working with immigrants called the decision, quote, essentially a death sentence to potentially thousands of people fleeing harm. On Monday, Sessions reversed an immigration court's ruling that granted asylum to a woman from El Salvador who said her husband had repeatedly abused her physically, sexually, and emotionally. 
According to the Marshall Project, when it comes to immigration, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has not been reluctant to assert the powers of his office with his decision announced Monday to virtually eliminate domestic violence as grounds for asylum. He summarily swept away more than two decades of hard-fought legal cases and painstaking decisions by immigration judges and appeals courts that favored women who were victims. In a speech to immigration judges just before his decision was published, Sessions framed it all as part of his drive to thwart migrants from Central America coming to the southwest border. He claims the asylum process over domestic abuse uh, issues is itself being abused by those making that claim. The asylum system is being abused to the detriment of the rule of law, sound public policy, public safety even, and to the detriment of people with just claims to asylum. Saying a few simple words claiming a fear of return is now transforming a straightforward arrest for illegal entry and immediate return into a prolonged legal process Powerful incentives were created for aliens to come here illegally and claim fear of return. Now we all know that many of those crossing the border illegally are leaving difficult, even dangerous conditions. Asylum was never meant to alleviate all problems, even all serious problems that people face every day all over the world. So today I'm exercising the responsibility given to me under the INA, and I will be issuing a decision that restores sound principles of asylum and longstanding principles of immigration law. That was Attorney General Jeff Sessions on Monday. Only 20% of asylum applications were actually granted over the past year according to the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and that was before Sessions' unilateral change to the way the Federal Refugee Act is implemented here in the U.S. That 1980 law has been much debated and disputed and seen its implementation changed via landmark court rulings during the uh, ensuing decades since its passage. On Monday, Sessions turned all of that on its head, seemingly. When Sessions stepped in, taking over a 2016 case from a court in North Carolina, according to the Marshall Project, he moved forcefully, rejecting the Obama administration's findings and throwing out the Immigration Board's precedent, dismissing it as wrongly decided. He said the ruling caused confusion by allowing asylum based on, quote, private violence. Although the case was about domestic uh, a domestic violence victim with little elaboration, Sessions also extended his decision to deny asylum to most migrants fleeing gang violence as well. The New York Times reports the case uh, that Sessions stepped into in which he overturned the Board of Immigration's appeals decision. Uh, in that 2016 case, involved a woman named in documents as A.B. for her initials. She's from El Salvador and one of the many women who come to the U.S. from Central America when they are otherwise unable to leave violent relationships and their own government has proven unable to protect them. Therefore, she qualified for asylum under the law, at least until Sessions changed it on Monday. In announcing the abrupt change, of course, Sessions ignored the arguments of the Trump administration's own Department of Homeland Security 
That's the agency in charge of running the immigration system. In papers filed in the case, DHS lawyers asked Sessions to clarify some terms but urged him not to overrule the domestic violence precedent entirely. He did so anyway. Joining us now to try and make some sense of this seemingly horrific change in the U.S. immigration policy, and this one is separate from the horrors that we've been uh, talking about and learning about over the past week regarding children being separated from their parents after arriving at the border, is Karen Musalo. She is a professor of law and the director of the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies and the Refugee and Human Rights Clinic at the University of California Hastings College of Law in San Francisco. She serves as uh, an attorney for AB, that El Salvadoran woman at the center of the case that was just overturned by Jeff Sessions. She has also been a central expert litigator on a number of landmark cases that have led to changes in immigration and asylum policy in the U.S. and across the world. Professor Misalo, thank you very much. Welcome to the broadcast. Thank you very much for having me on, Brad. Uh, please tell me, if you don't mind, Karen, about the circumstances that brought your client, who's at the center of all of this, A.B., uh, to the United States in the first place. Um, she, the, the man who she um, ultimately married and had three children with subjected her to 15 years of really um, brutalization, physical, emotional um, beatings, threatening with death, um, uh, just it, really unspeakable horrors. And she went to the police um, numerous times, and the police refused to respond. On a couple of occasions when they responded, they responded in ways that were so ineffectual, uh, such as giving her protective order on two occasions and telling her to serve it on her husband herself. And so oh. you, can, you can just really imagine somebody who's terrorized by a, by a brutal, powerful um, spouse and she's supposed to go back to this person and hand him a piece of paper and tell him that, you know, <laughs> he should stay away from her. Oh. Uh, um, the police even told her on one occasion if she had any dignity, she would just leave her husband. And her brother-in-law happened to be, so her abuser's um, brother happened to be a police officer, and he made not very veiled threats at her, telling her that she should be careful because um, she... You know, she she couldn't guess where the bullets were going to be flying from. Oh. And I should mention that she tried to escape him within the country. Um, she moved a number of hours away, and he tracked her down and found her and continued to abuse her. And um, she finally ended up divorcing him, but he told her, you know, on the shortly after the divorce, you think that with this divorce you can get away with me, uh, away from me. You actually will always belong to me. And so she really... Her, you know, when you're in a situation where you're brutalized, where you go to the police and they pretty much um, laugh you off, and you try to move, you try to do everything possible to protect yourself, you finally reach the conclusion that unless you want to end up dead, um, perhaps you know, you mm. you flee the country and you try to seek a safe haven, and so that's what led to her arriving in the United States and requesting political asylum. And just so people understand, I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about how the uh, immigration court system in the U.S. actually works. I, I, I'd like to help people understand. It's not like a regular court of law that we think of, is it, with regular judges? Uh, do immigration court judges, for example, do they have any actual... Uh, do they have to have any actual experience as attorneys, immigration experts, or even just as regular old uh, judges in the federal system? 
So immigration judges, when we think of judges, we think of judges who are appointed, uh, serve for life, and have independence. Once they're appointed to the bench, we, we really um, value the, the principle of judicial independence with judges being able to mete out justice in an unbiased way and apply the law to the facts. Immigration um, judges, they, they do have to have some level of experience in the law, but they are not, they are employees of the Justice Department. So they're, they're called judges, but they are really employees of the Justice Department, which means that Jeff Sessions is their boss. Mm. And so they don't have independence, and he has made a number of pronouncements, a little bit of, uh, off the topic that we're on with Ms. A.B.'s case, but he has made a number of decisions trying to limit their... <laughs> if you look at the limited independence that they already had, mm-hmm. he has taken a number of measures to even rein them in more. So one of the things about the decision, just to quickly add mm-hmm. here, is that, you know, when he tells the judges what he thinks the law is or should be, they're aware that that messaging is coming from their boss. And that's not how we think justice system and judging should happen, that a judge is looking over his or her shoulder um, as to what his or her boss yeah. wants him to do. Because he, um, he has firing power over them, right? If one particular judge is uh, turning in uh, too many decisions one way or another, it, essentially they can be fired by Jeff Sessions? He, he has power over their advancement, their mm-hmm. their promotion, or I would say their retention. That's certainly true. And, and Brad, one thing I think it's important to mention, because there's so much information out there about the AB case, um, with the community being very distressed, as, as obviously obviously it would be. But I want to say, clearly what uh, the Attorney General is trying to do with issuing this decision is to send a strong message that cases of people fleeing, of women fleeing domestic violence or people fleeing gangs are not legitimate asylum claims. But for those of us who are experts and understand the law and read his decision closely, he may want to send that message and he did, in fact, reverse a, a 2014 precedent that clearly stated that survivors of domestic violence um, were eligible for asylum. But there's a whole framework of law that has developed in the 38 mm-hmm. years since the 1980 Refugee Act was enacted. And these cases are still, with, you know, each case has to be judged on its facts, and a fair application of the law to the facts could very well result in many of these cases um, being granted. And the reason I'm underscoring that point mm-hmm. is that I think he's going to try to bully judges and asylum officers into thinking this is the law, there's no way around it, they should deny these cases, and also making lawyers think that they shouldn't bring cases on behalf of their clients. And so I feel it's very important to point out this is what he's trying to do, but that's not what the law um that's not how the law is properly interpreted. Well, and that's what I sort of wanted to understand, because, okay, we, we talked a little bit about the, the judges, but then sort of after that uh, level, there's also a board of immigration appeals that can oversee or uh, oversee the rulings of the, the, the actual ju- immigration judges and can overturn their decision. That is, I understand that's what happened here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Karen Musella, but then the board of uh, immigrants uh, appeals decide that yes, her uh, asylum claim was valid and legit, and then Jeff Sessions came in and unilaterally said that that appeals board decision was wrong, and he was overturning it by himself. 
that that's correct. The, the Board of Immigration Appeals. So really quickly here, it's a, mm-hmm. an immigration judge um, denied Miss um, A B asylum. She appealed to the Board of Immigration Appeals, and they said the immigration judge was clearly wrong, and they um, said that she should be granted asylum. The attorney general reached out and, and took the case, and said that you know the Board of Immigration Appeals was was mistaken. They were relying on this 2014 decision that he reversed. And so he sent her case back to the immigration judge to be heard uh, and to be decided consistent with what he was saying in his decision. Mm-hmm. But, but, but it's important to understand that there are broader legal principles that come to play in deciding any immigration case. Mm-hmm. And also every case is decided on the facts that are put forward in that case. And so it is actually not possible legally he would have had to wipe out, you know, well-established legal principles developed over the last 38 years for these cases to just be sort of, you know, wiped off the table. These are no longer viable cases. So um, he did, in fact, intervene in her case, and he did, in fact, reverse, a, you know, a, a case that was a precedent case, but he didn't wipe out the whole legal framework mm. that exists under which these claims can and should be analyzed, and with a fair analysis, in many cases, would be granted asylum. And if, if I can just explain, and I know, you know, sure. as, as a lawyer, but I want to break it down really in layperson's terms. So there's a legal definition, mm-hmm. and an individual's entitled for asylum if they could show something that's called a well-founded fear of persecution. And the persecution has to be related to, to certain characteristics about the person or mm-hmm. certain beliefs. So they have to show well-founded fear of persecution on account of their race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. And so really, in a case involving domestic violence, the harm is the persecution. And it is on account of the person being a woman in a particular society. And courts have long held that being a woman in a particular society could come under that ground of the refugee definition that's called social group. Mm -hmm. So he couldn't possibly wipe out the meaning of persecution or the meaning of social group to say these claims could never qualify. The other thing, and I want to point out that's a very important point, is that um, Sessions made a big deal of the fact that she was not persecuted directly by her government, but by what he called a private actor. And her husband. Her husband, yeah. Her husband. It's also very well accepted in U.S. law and international law that you can qualify for asylum either if your government persecutes you or if what we call a private actor, a non-state actor, Mm -hmm. persecutes you, but the government stands by, is either unable or unwilling to protect you. And that's a well-established principle. You know, A.G. Sessions may not like that, and he made a lot of you know, made a lot of reference to the fact that this was private actor. But many cases, if you look at cases of, of persecution against um, people who are members of a certain religion, and they might be persecuted by some nationalist or anti-Semitic sect in a particular country and not directly by the government, we recognize that the government allows this to happen because they're biased against that religion also. Um, that person, if they flee, is entitled to asylum. So, so Sessions just has it wrong on the law and actually is ignoring the facts of the reality in El Salvador. Yeah, it, it sounds like, uh, yeah, that uh, you don't just disagree with him uh, on on this policy, but that he doesn't actually have the authority 
uh, as you see it, to make this change in policy, that there is uh, that there are laws and well-established uh, guidelines for this that will that will help your client and help many other w- women that he can't just uh, throw away with the stroke of his pen. I- I- am I right in in what you're trying to get at there? Yeah, what I'm getting at is he did use this case to reverse a sil- to reverse a precedent, mm-hmm. the a 2014 precedent, and to reverse the asylum grant to Miss A B. But to read that decision as somehow changing the entire legal landscape, so that you know these claims are foreclosed as a blanket prohibition that these claims can never qualify. No, he can't. He can't do that. He may want to send that message that he doesn't want these claims to be recognized. Mm-hmm. But the legal framework, which is there, actually would recognize many of these claims as coming within the refugee definition. And I know it's a fine legal point, but it's important to understand. Yes, he can... He can do what he did, but it shouldn't be overread as to what he did. No, and and I do want to understand that because I think there is at least some hope uh, in that uh, in that point you're trying to make there. Do you have any idea, Karen, why uh, the AG? Well, a, I'm wondering how unusual is it for an AG to come in and just overturn uh, the Immigration Board of Appeals like this? And any idea why he chose this case to intervene and suddenly? try to use that power to, to change years of, of U.S. policy? Was it just a random, oh, i got to pick one of them because I want to send this message uh, for people to stop coming? Is, is that what it was, or was there something specific about this case? So, and, you know, it, so two questions there. How common is it and, and, and why this case? So, it, you know, the attorney general has this power, but other attorney generals, Attorneys General have exercised it much more infrequently. Mm-hmm. He has taken an incredibly proactive, aggressive approach that's part of the entire anti-immigrant, anti-refugee um, sort of on steroids that mm-hmm. we see from this administration, which was promised by uh, Trump on the campaign trail and then implemented as soon as um, he was, you know, became president. Mm-hmm. So this is he's being much more aggressive, trying to change the law to basically result in, you know, limiting immigration remedies to the greatest extent possible and implementing the cruelest, most punitive, harsh policies, you know, in pursuit of that out in pursuit of that result. So that so that's you know he's doing this much more aggressively, taking the power that attorneys general have. Mm-hmm. Um, why this case? We actually think that it was a little bit of um, inappropriate communication between the actual immigration judge who initially heard the case and the attorney general's office. And the reason I say that is that Miss A B had the misfortune to have her case heard in front of um, Judge Stuart Couch, who sits in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Stuart Couch is known as having one of the highest denial rates in the country, almost mm. the 86% denial rate mm. in terms of asylum claims. Uh, this is, you know, way higher than the national average. And he has shown a special hostility to claims involving domestic violence, and he has denied them one after the other, and the Board of Immigration Appeals has consistently reversed him. Mm. And we have reason to believe that Judge Couch communicated directly with the Attorney General Sessions office about, you know, this case or about the idea of the Attorney General taking a case and wiping out this precedent. Mm. So why this case might be have more to do with this particular judge mm. and, um, 
you know, not that the Attorney General didn't want to do this and didn't have it on his wish list, right. but why might this case have been picked? Right. It might be because this particular judge, um, you know, who acted in kind of a rogue way. Gotcha. Uh, I won't go into all the details, but he acted in, in other things he did in the course of this case that was really, um, really raises que- great questions about his um, acting in a way that uh, is judicially proper. In, in, in that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I understand. In the few minutes we have left here, uh, Professor uh, Sessions' claim, of course, is that the asylum system is being abused. You heard that uh, clip we played at the top, uh, people claiming they were domestically abused to get into the country. And and in fact, uh, such claims have skyrocketed uh, since the Obama administration's change in policy to allow more of these claims a, a few years ago. But how how do judges uh, adjudicate such claims? I, I would think it would be very difficult for someone like your client, like uh, Ms. A.B., uh, to actually prove their case one way or another, you know, of what's going on back in their home country. Thus, it's also easy to for, for some to make the claim even when they were not actually uh, fleeing domestic abuse. Uh, how, how is a judge to make sense of that from someone like your client making this claim uh, so far from home and, you know, without being able to call witnesses, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, so a couple of things. One is the, the, the number of claims have not skyrocketed um, as a result of the Obama administration recognizing domestic violence as a basis of protection. Mm-hmm. The, that's simply not true. And then in terms of why are these people coming and, you know, there have been an increase in numbers of people coming, ebbs and flows over the years, but... They're coming, many of them are coming from what we call the Northern Triangle countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. These are countries that have the highest rate, highest homicide rates in the world. They are within the top ten and um, also have the highest femicide rates in the world. We use the word femicide to denote uh, gender-motivated killings. And El Salvador for many years had the highest femicide rate in the world. So if we want to ask why are these people coming, you could say it's a pull factor of, oh, we're too nice to them, or you could say it's the push factor of this is a region on fire in violence, engulfed in in violence. So that's why they're coming um, to the degree that there have been increases in numbers. Asylum is very hard to prove. The asylum seeker has the burden of of proof, and it is not easy to fabricate a claim. And just to give you an example, with Miss A.B., she had corroboration. This wasn't somebody who just arrived and said, my husband, uh, you know, beat me for Mm -hmm. um, 15 years. She had copies of the protective orders that she had secured from the police, the orders that I told her the police told her to go serve on her husband herself. Um, She had had affidavits of of neighbors who had... who mentioned how the police had been called on more than 10 occasions and hadn't come. Um, she, she had evidence of in-country experts about how what she described was absolutely consistent with country conditions. So it's, it simply is not easy to fabricate these claims. The, the courts are very demanding as to the kind of evidence that needs to be uh, presented. And so, you know, it, 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 and there's a great burden to reach, you know, great, great mm-hmm. uh, sort of burden on the applicant in order to prevail. So I think I want to push back against the perceptions either that they skyrocketed in response to us being too nice as opposed to, you know, the levels of violence, or that it's really easy to put forth these claims and to um, and and to prevail. I appreciate you pushing back on that. Uh, what what happens now uh, at this point? I know your your uh, client goes back before I guess that same judge to she goes right. She yeah. she 
goes back before that same judge, um, the case would be decided by the judge, and then it would actually, you know, if it would be appealable again to the Board of Immigration Appeals, and then up to um, the Federal Court of Appeals, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Mm. And there's a, a quite major sort of national um, campaign around this with many, both, you know, congressional, you know, members of Congress, mm-hmm. as well as faith-based leaders, as well as leaders of sort of the, you know, women's rights movement, um, anti-domestic, vi- you know, those who work on domestic violence issues. This has really, um, lit, you know, in made people rise up and said, how can it be in the year 2018 that we have an attorney general who says that you can send a woman to her death back to a country where the police and the courts just sit by and don't protect her and she could be beaten to death and and we can say that's how, you know, that's what our laws provide for. So this is not just something that's going to be fought in the courts of law. This is going to be fought in the court of public opinion. And what the Attorney General is saying is out of step with the understanding of refugee protections really around the world. We are so out of step with peer countries um, and how they apply the refugee definition, whether you talk about the United Kingdom or you talk about um, France or Germany or Australia or Canada, they all recognize that claims like this are legitimate claims for asylum. So, so Sessions is really, you know, like many other things about this administration, is, is pulling the U.S., you know, into being almost a, a pariah or an outlier in the positions that it's taking on on human rights issues or refugee protection issues. Professor Karen Musalo, uh, professor of law and the director of the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies and the Refugee and Human Rights Clinic at the University of California Hastings College of Law in San Francisco. You can uh, follow the uh, Center for Gender and Refugee Studies uh, on the Twitters at CGRS Hastings. And you can see their work online at CGRS.UCHastings.edu. Professor, uh, thank you for uh, fighting this battle both in court and in the court of public opinion. It's greatly appreciated, uh, as is joining us today. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Professor. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me, Brad. It's really been my pleasure. Okay. Let's take a quick break, and we will come back with a few closing thoughts from uh, Stephen Colbert. He'll cheer us up about all of this, right? I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate 
and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, so um, when it comes to immigration, as the uh, professor said there, Donald Trump is keeping his promise. This is what he ran on. This is what he's doing. And now it's resulting in thousands and thousands of children being separated from their parents. Women who are uh, f- who are domestically abused, uh, being turned back, sent home, told uh, after 30 years uh, of, of these policies that, oh, you, you can't do that anymore to get into the U.S. And, of course, we're waiting for the Supreme Court to come out with their the stolen U.S. Supreme Court to come out with their uh, uh, rulings any day now, any moment now, concerning the uh, Donald Trump's travel ban from Muslim countries. So, yeah, this is what he promised. This is what we get. Jeff Sessions on Thursday cited the Bible as uh, part of his authority for separating separating kids from their family. I mentioned it earlier. Here's a a part of what he had to say. Illegal entry into the United States is a crime. It should be. It must be. If you're going to have a legal system and have any limits whatsoever, persons who violate the law of our nation are subject to prosecution. If you violate the law, you subject yourself to prosecution. I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves. That's Attorney General, U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions citing the Bible as part of his authority for separating families uh, this way. Uh, Stephen Colbert on uh, CBS uh, Late Show, a, a, a well-known Catholic, had a word or two in response to Jeff Sessions uh, on, on Thursday's program. The only things dads really want for Father's Day is to be with their kids, which is why what's happening on our southern border is so shocking. Now, usually for me to talk about a news story on this show, especially a tragic one, is that it has to be something everybody's already talking about. That's my job, to give you my take on the conversation that everyone's already having. With any luck, my take is funnier than yours, or I would be watching you. (laughs) But this story is different, because this is the conversation everybody should be having. Attorney General and man daydreaming about legally changing his name to Jim Crow, Jeff Sessions. (laughs) has instituted a new policy to separate immigrant kids from their parents at the border. So far, 1,358 children have reportedly been ripped from their families at the U.S. border. Now, if that sounds evil, then good news, your ears are working. Here's the bad news. The United States, that's you and me who are putting up with our government saying to immigrants, if you come to the United States, the worst thing imaginable will happen to you. We will take your children away from you with no guarantee you'll see them again. That is using cruelty as a deterrent. That's not my interpretation. That is our stated intention. Three government officials said part of the reason for their proposal is to deter mothers from migrating to the United States with their children. The other part is just recreational racism. 
and listen to how they're doing it. Public defenders in the area say federal officials are telling parents they're taking their children away for baths only to never return with them. Now, clearly, no decent human being could defend that. So Jeff Sessions did. In fact, he said separating kids from their families is the Lord's work. Illegal entry into the United States is a crime. It should be. It must be. And I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans uh, 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained, ordained the government for his purposes. Hey, don't break God into this. That is what Romans 13:1 says. Okay, you got to have laws. But if you just read a little bit further into Romans 13:10, it says, "Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law." But I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised Sessions didn't read the whole thing. After all, Jesus said, suffer the children to come unto me. But I'm pretty sure all Sessions saw was the words children and suffer and said, I'm on it. <laughs> now, these kids have to go somewhere. So the Trump administration is talking about erecting tent cities on military bases. They've also got an abandoned Walmart. They're stacking these kids in like cordwood. But it wouldn't matter if you took these children to really nice hotels or Trump hotels. We'd still be the only country in the whole damn world doing it because it's just plain wrong. So for Father's Day, call your elected representatives and demand they do something. Yeah. Because, yeah. I, I, I sincerely believe that it doesn't matter who you voted for. If we let this happen in our name, we are a feckless country. Well done, Stephen Colbert. If you'd like to call your elected officials, you can reach your congressperson or senator at 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. We're told they will be voting on immigration issues in the coming weeks. All right, got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Karen Musalo of the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies at UC Hastings College of Law, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you can find me at the Bradblog. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,